Welcome to the Aviator Zone Podcast. Aviator Zone Podcast. With your host, Captain Felipe Santiago. Flying stories, career advice, and a lot of hangar talk. Let's talk aviation. All right, welcome back to the Aviator Zone podcast. My name is Felipe. Today I have a guest with me, George Whiteman. Did I say that right? You said it perfectly, <laughs> my God. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming out to the podcast. I really wanted to bring you on as a guest to the show because uh, you fit in into a very uh, unique uh, category of our students. Uh, a lot of the students that we have here in the flight school, they'll either be professional pilots and they're pilots that are doing to do this for fun. And you fit in the for fun portion. So... Tell me about you what, you, what got you into flying, and what made you uh, do what you did. I'm not going to share it yet, but what made you do that crazy idea that you decided to get? So tell me. Well, I was into airplanes since, uh, since a kid. Okay. I was interested more in airplanes than in cars. Um, I also had the fixed idea, like many kids, uh, I'll become a pilot. But I was very... Um, persistent with it. I even changed my my gymnasium to another uh, type of gymnasium which was required for Swiss Air for the, uh, when you wanted to join the recruiting center where they started with 15, 16 to f look out for new pilots. Wow. It was another time. It's a different time. <laughs> it's a different time. And uh, of course my parents um, they said, oh, great idea, but they didn't want it. They didn't want me to become a pilot. He, they wanted to have me in the family business. So this is how it ended up. I ended up in the family business. But I always knew, you know, an old love never dies. And I always knew whenever I shall have time in my life, I still would like to fly. Yep. And, and that's one thing that we see it all the time with parents. You know, a lot of parents want your kids to do something. But if your kid wants to do a completely different thing, they're going to go out and do it at some point in their life. So the best thing is to give them, I, for me personally, I say, let them be what they want to be and, and support them to that everything that they want to do. When I, when I started my career, I, I started very young, obviously. I started flying when I was 12. And I went into the aviation, went all in into aviation. And then I got sidetracked. I was like, oh, I want to be a firefighter now. My dad was livid. He was like, oh, my God, you know, all the stuff we invested and all this time of driving you to the airport. I used to I used to live here near Tamiami and drive all the way to North Perry to go flying. So it was a very, very uh, big commitment. But my parents supported me in everything that I that I needed to do to be able to make that happen. And it worked out because in the end, I came back to aviation and look where I'm at today. <laughs> and again, it's your passion, right? So yes. that's what you wanted to do. So you always wanted to be a pilot since you were uh, a young fellow yeah and then um, the family made you go for the family business so tell me about your family business what is that family business so the family business because uh, you have a nickname what's your nickname well my nickname is wax maker but um, the nickname happened very late because we had a far east trading company Okay. And uh, in many fields, the major field was microscopes, uh, endoscopes, medical endoscopes, but also household products, uh, textiles. Uh, it was a multi, multi, Mult uh, a melting pot of everything. Right. Because every generation in our family did something new, and so I followed in the business. And at the end of the eighties, we then sold parts of the business. 
because uh, I was always looking after IT in our company as well. And I saw a thing coming called the internet. And I saw ahead of others, that's a huge danger for a trading company because one day be online, online, you get all the knowledge that we provided over generations. So I told my dad, I said, listen, I, well, I want to start uh, another business as well. And for the first time in our history, I wanted to go into production. Production? Yeah. So okay. I wanted to produce car cap products because I'm not only interested in planes, I'm also very interested in cars. So uh, I had ideas for car cap products, different so car cap products. Just a side note here, how many cars do you own? In Switzerland, I have 16. 16, what are they? And in the States, <laughs> about four. Uh, the oldest is from 1929. Wow. And uh, the latest is uh, an electric car, of course. I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say a, a brand or not. Uh, <laughs> it's American. <laughs> <laughs> and it's the, it's the, it's the best sold uh, car in Switzerland last, was the best sold car in Switzerland last year. So wow. the electric car revolution has taken place in our country. So you're, you're also fascinated in cars and you know, I, I've never really been into cars. Mostly aviation is everything that I've done. <laughs> so because uh, you started so early. Yeah. So that's kind of one of the struggles that we have in aviation is the electric airplane. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of technologies coming out. Um, personally, myself, I think we're still too far until we have a big jump in batteries. I don't yeah. think that we're going to have anything that makes sense. Now, with that being said, there's companies out there that are proving me wrong and they're making it work. I think I saw recently an article that the first electric airplane uh, solo flight or something like that in a yes. pattern. So it's getting there, but it's not as, as as advanced as it is in cars. I mean, well, if you uh, just look at Textronics that took over Pipistrel, there's a reason behind it. So that's the company that I'm talking about. I think they're the ones that are pushing the aviation. Um, you and know, why do you car. think why do you think a company like Textronics is doing it? Because they are looking ahead, right? And for commercial airplanes, I think we're far away. For, yes, for, I think. For general aviation, I think we're not far away. Because battery technology is, is unbelievable what happened. I mean, my, my first electric car I bought 10 years ago, and it had a range of 50 miles. Which is still not bad for a car, I think, you know, considering that you drive somewhere and you park it and you wait and, you know, you don't go somewhere for a second and then leave, right? The airplane, it's a quick turn. Um, the electric roadster I should get next year, finally, uh, <laughs> is supposed to have a range of 600 miles. This is tenfold mm -hmm. in 10 years. Well, I mean, 600 miles is like your typical range on a general aviation airplane. So I think in general aviation, especially for smaller airplanes, I think this will come. I was thinking about even for a flight school, like for us, you know, what, what the big difference is the airplane goes out, goes to a lesson. It's about an hour and a half, comes back and then it needs to go out. You know, we usually have like about a 30 minute turn, yeah. 15, 30 minute turn. Yeah. We can't charge a battery in 15, 30 minutes. So well, it would have to have, have a, if you have a supercharger, you can. <laughs> <laughs> well, we would have to now have, everybody knows what I'm driving every day. <laughs> <laughs> well, we would have to uh, pull the 
you know, I will have something. I think the way that it would work for us is it was a remote, like a removable battery, a, a, you know, a, a pack. You remove the pack, stick another one in, and off it goes again. Um, but I think even with that, I think the, the technology that we have now is for about an hour flight. Um, so we're not there yet. No, we're not there yet. But, but it will come. I think it it's the future. Come. I mean, I was just thinking about it. Like, you know, how do we even set up the ramp to the point is that well, now we have to have a supercharger at the ramp, right? So now that's a pole that we got to be careful with. The airplanes are not going to run into it. You know, we have to have like literally a battery charger in every parking spot for the airplanes. But I have thought of that about that conversation. And I think it will be awesome in the future to, you know, get rid of uh, fuel because it's so expensive. Right now we're paying a lot of money for gas. Just imagine how much safer aviation will become. Well, yeah, that's the other thing. Well, I don't know. Lithium batteries are kind of dangerous, but um, I think it. We we shall not stuck. Will be stuck for lithium batteries for, for, forever. Forever. I think it will change. I think so too, and I and it's just a matter of time. And once that change happens, I think it's going to be explosive. What's going to happen after that? You've seen it in the automotive sector. I'm, yeah, it's going to be. I'm quite sure it will happen as well. Where I still don't see electric um, uh, propulsion is. Um, in heavy, large aircraft. You, you see already with trucks, it will take much longer. Uh, buses, you see in short, short distance. But of course, an airplane has to stay in the air for a long time yep. and have a, a good reserve and it's heavy. So for general aviation, smaller planes, I'm sure we are, we are, we are very soon there. Actually, we are there already, but... What about boats? Have you been in an electric boat yet? No. So but uh, this was... This came actually parallel with cars and uh, also, again, recreational boats on some lakes in Europe. You can only have Use a boat if it's electric. Yeah, I've actually done a, a test drive on an electric hydrofoil boat yeah. and it was awesome. You know, it's pretty cool. It takes off like it literally takes off into the water, um, all electric and everything. It's good. I think the range still needs a little bit more work, but, you know, it's going to be uh, I think it's going to be the future as you know, you have a lot more torque. It's yeah doesn't make any noise, yes. you know, it's very comfortable, it doesn't it's, smell. Uh, much less maintenance of the engine part. Yeah, less moving parts, right? So, I mean, you look at a Tesla versus a regular car and how many moving parts does it have? You know, it has like hundreds less moving parts. So as far as maintenance goes and, and just the fact that there's less moving parts, less likely for it to break down. But anyway, so tell me about your aviation. So let's go back to aviation now. And you always wanted to be a, a pilot as you were a little kid and then what happened? What happened recently that you said, okay, now I'm going to do this, and you went forward with what you did? So tell me about that. <laughs> well, it started a bit before. I had initially the plan to retire at the age of 60. Okay. Um, didn't work. <laughs> um, but you know, you have to have a target. But this was when I started to look around for maybe still fulfilling my dream. You have a, you know, when you get older, you have everything in your head. You think, well, am I too old? Can I still do it? Uh, am I still fit enough? What are the requirements? So yeah, I had to, I had to find out this first. Then I decided, okay, if I retire, I'm gonna try. And then I was looking for different types of airplane. But as I'm all, I always was interested in flying. I had, you know, I'm a, I'm a very cautious person. I, I, I wanted to fly and I want to fly and I want to be in the air. But like everybody of us, 
as safe as possible. Mm -hmm. So how you do how do you do a risk management? You inform yourself what is the biggest risk. And I think even as a newcomer, uh, even I understood quickly, the highest risk are stalls, spins at low altitude. Yeah. Because you have to learn early, a spin can happen at any, at any speed. Uh, it depends on the flight situation. Yeah, that's one of the, if you look at the, a graft kind of plotting from takeoff to landing, the most accidents occur on takeoff and landings. Yeah. And the reason why pilots are slow, they're slow, they're in a turn, high load on the aircraft. So that's usually the highest risk on, on in aviation accidents is takeoff and landings. Crews, very little happens in crews and you have so much time to react and, and you know, go forward from that. So, so yeah, that's, that's a good point. So for me, this was the highest concern. Then, of course, what Cirrus did from the beginning, the ballistic parachute was always something, especially when you are a newcomer, uh, that's an additional safety future you like. And I said, okay, this would be the second important thing. And with these search terms on YouTube, uh, about five years ago, yeah, 2017, I stumbled over a little tiny LSA aircraft called the Icon. Okay. And uh, yeah, from then on, it's history. <laughs> I well, I ran into a bag the other day in the hangar. It was on the floor, all dirty. <laughs> I'm not going to say what manufacturer's bag that was, but I was like, ooh, I guess that didn't work out. <laughs> so you decided to buy an Icon. Yeah. Okay. So why an Icon? I mean, there's there's a lot of airplanes out there in the market. There's a lot of LSA airplanes as well. I. I think a parachute, like you mentioned, is one of those so big the factors. the ballistic here. parachute was definitely uh, a, a plus. Uh, even more, the icons spin resistance that in the beginning I thought, well, this is just a sales argument. But the more and more I informed myself about the icon and I had to say, wow. And then they're focusing on angle of attack. For me, this was this was actually the trigger. That uh, also how they position. At I mean, five years ago when I looked at it, this was I, th I think one of the first uh, general aviation aircraft having the angle of attack with a wing. Yes, I showing think, the wing. I think a lot of people and bringing that back now. You bring a great point. I didn't even think about this before, but I have noticed that since the beginning angle of attack was something very important for icon and that was their primary instrument that's what they put in front of the pilot's face yeah if you look at any airplane from commercial airliners to general aviation airplanes the number one instrument in their face is the attitude indicator exactly a miniature airplane on a horizon the size of this big very hard to determine anything from that instrument other than your bank angle and your pitch but that pitch can be doesn't necessarily mean that you are flying. Exactly. So <laughs> big factor. So the fact that they went to angle of attack, I think was a, was a good idea. And after that, recently we have seen a lot more people adding angle of attack to the airplanes. I think it came a lot with the light sports and the, uh, you know, um, the cowboy flying kind of attitude, you know, that they, they really put that angle of attack because now they can really bring their airplane to the, to the limit. 
and decrease their takeoff and landing capability. So I've seen that a lot in those in that sector of aviation. But even now on other airplanes, they're starting to add angle of attack as an indicator that should always be coming up on the airplane. And I think it may reduce drastically um, inadvertent stalls because me as a newcomer, as a student, I immediately understood this is my wing and I can see it. I can see the wing, how it moves and how it gets slowed or less slowed. Uh, and you have it in, in the face, not somewhere like a, an additional gimmick like we all have in the cockpit, no. Uh, you ha this is the one you always have in front of your nose. And when you touch down and you flare, you can you look at that angle of attack and this is amazing yeah so and, and this is where my disconnect is um you know when you're coming into land in this airplane uh, you obviously you follow the white line right you're coming white line all the way down but then once you get over the runway i completely discard the the instrument i look outside now and i just kind of hold off the airplane and eventually it'll come in and land by itself but I think it's a great instrument, even for, you know, water landings and all that. You know, you don't have to, I, I, on the icon, I look at my airspeed indicator once. Exactly. When I'm going to go put the, the flaps down and I never look at it again. So I literally, all I do is I look oh, in the white range, poop, here comes my flaps. And then follow the uh, angle of attack all the way down, come in over the runway, flare and done. So, you know, it's good. You're not looking at, oh, on what airspeed am I flying? Who cares what airspeed you're flying with? Just look at your angle of attack and your angle of attack is, is where it needs to be. Yeah. There's, there's no way that if you have the power setting where you want it and you have the angle attack and you have the flaps down that you're going to be out, out of speed. But, you know, when you start flying like me, you don't even get that. I mean, you, you still think in airspeeds because the literature I read and whatever, but that flight that week changed everything <laughs> so let's talk about that week so you had the crazy idea of buying an icon you bought an icon yeah i had the crazy idea to order an icon without having flown ever in my life you hadn't even done a discovery flight had you nothing so you did a demo flight yeah no you didn't even do a demo no. flight. no i so did i did multiple i think i've seen a every youtube video related to icon a5 at least the 50 so icon must be scratching their head like how did this guy <laughs> not do a demo and bought our airplane <laughs> i mean uh, i had five years time to watch everything 50 times um then i uh, bought a flight simulator at home uh the microsoft flight simulator in switzerland there's a company who builds extreme uh pcs for Flight simulator. That's a big thing in Europe. Yeah. Yeah, simulator. So I bought that. And then um, I was, um, I was um, flying for three months on the flight simulator, which has also a ground school. Uh, then you're on, a, on, on the C-152 and uh, yeah. But of course, the flight simulator I, I have has VR. So it's, it's, it's very, very, what shall I say, it, 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 it helps you to really feel very intuitive in an airplane. But of course, you don't have the gravity and everything, but it, it is quite good. And so for me, it was clear it has to be an icon because I have a place in Miami. I have a place in the Bahamas. Both are on the water. Um, I, have a, I have a boat. So it was clear to me 
that's added value to have an amphibious plane. Especially in the Bahamas. I mean, and an amphibious plane that apparently, and now I actually I can already say it's true, is not more difficult to fly than another plane. It's quite the contrary. One of the biggest challenges that I've seen with the Icon is insurance, and <laughs> it blows my mind. Yes. I mean, you know, and but you but you can top it. You can be 65 or years old. That's true. You can have never flown an airplane, be an alien to America. We don't use that term anymore. We don't yeah. use aliens anymore. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, for the for the TSA, uh, we have uh, changed it. We're now flight training candidates. Oh, okay, very good. <laughs> so, uh, if you have these specs. I tell you, then the insurance is even more shocking. <laughs> oh yeah, especially you know having a retractable seaplane. It's it's all the all the crazy stuff in aviation. But even for me, it was hard to get insurance for land, land only. And yeah. It wasn't hard, but you know they wanted like to see everything, and you know not. I have like five thousand over five thousand hours, bunch of high performance, bunch of retractable you know uh, time, and yeah. it was like I had to prove. <laughs> I have been an astronaut. Probably have a hard time getting in. You know, would have so a hard see, time. For me, in. for me, it was much easier. I had nothing to prove, uh, so I had just to pay. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing. The more you prove, the the less it is, and the less you know, the the less your your insurance is. Mm. But but you know, I'm gonna work on that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it's a challenge. But once you get to have that challenge, you know, and I understand why. It's a lot of fun to fly that airplane. Yes. And it, and it. I think at the beginning, Icon had a lot of issues with other pilots because the way that, you know, a lot of pilots came in and thought this was a toy. Yeah. It's a toy, but you have to respect that toy. In the end, it's an airplane. It's an airplane. In the air and you have the same responsibility. You need to be responsible, yeah. right? You have to yes. be, you have to wear that pilot and command hat and kind of. It's actually out of, a, of my angle. It's actually utterly unfair because they developed an airplane which is extreme I, I'm, I'm convinced of is extremely safe also because it teaches you to be safe with all the instrument the, the few instruments it has it's so easy to overview everything you they train you on angle on, on, on attack but then some people misunderstood and said it's a jet ski with wings and it's not and, and I don't blame <laughs> icon for that you know it really comes down to the pilot um, when I, when I first, you know, found out about Icon, I was a little kid, <laughs> right? It was just a design, a, a painting. Um, and now finally seeing the airplane and going through Icon, uh, instructor school. Um, I, I was shocked the way that they run their program and the way that they, they, they kind of sent all the pilots through to be able to be instructors on the airplane. It's almost like an airline training curriculum you know the way they do it is very professional they, they require you know a certain amount of things they require recurrent training so it's really uh, a benefit for and, and that's the big difference between an icon instructor and just any instructor hopping on the icon you know there's plenty of qualified people out there that can teach on the airplane it's just another airplane but the fact that you go through the training from the the manufacturer of the airplane they you know you get the little insights you get to see what's going on with the airplane and, and getting you know getting to know it so I think it was very, for me, it was very, you know, it was very shocking how professional they run the program and, and how they keep it. So I think that was a great benefit for not only for the instructor, but also for the students that come through the program to fly the airplane. Um, so let's go back. So you bought the airplane, uh, sight on scene, 
never took a demo flight. So you hadn't even seen the uh, stall uh, resistance on the airplane. Uh, the stall, stall resistance, the, the spin resistance on the airplane. Well, you saw it on videos. I saw, the, you know, um, I, as I said, I have a place in Miami and uh, before COVID, um, I visited um, prestige imports because they always have lovely cars on show and they had an icon in the showroom. So this was the first time I could have a look at an icon in person. In person, I was allowed to sit in it. So I saw the airplane and I saw how small it is. Um, then COVID hit and then we were not allowed to travel to the US anymore. And actually, this is my first visit uh, Since COVID. Again, yeah, to the US. And of course, as a, as a foreigner, I needed to get the TSA clearance. Then I needed a flight school. I needed a icon approved <laughs> flight school. And that's how we met over, uh, over WhatsApp and uh, video call. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. I remember when you were still up there. Um, yeah. But you know, but you know, uh, to, to finish, why did I do that? When you're 65, you don't have any time to lose. You want to go forward. Uh, and especially because now I'm retired, I have the time. So I said, okay, I know that's the plane I want. Usually when I know what I want, I do it. So I said, okay, no pressure. I need, I need to get the pilot certificate <laughs> now. But uh, yes, I said, I order it because it takes half a year until you can have a plane. Which is surprising compared to the deliveries for other companies. The fact that it took about, you know, six months to get an airplane, that's, that's impressive. You know, you're hearing two, three years on other manufacturers. Uh, and it's actually, I was lucky because my airplane, my original airplane I ordered uh, would have been delayed until August or September. So how, how many months would that have been? Uh, nearly a year. A year. But still, year. even a year, yeah. you know, cars. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, you figured. But, uh, well, maybe it's also, you know, for an, for an LSA. Uh, it's a very, very steep price. But I always uh, tell myself it's maybe nearly a coincidence it's an LSA <laughs> because uh, I have never flown another LSA. I've only flown this one, but uh, it really flies well. <laughs> it's not. And again, they're coming out now with a certified airplane. That's their new, uh, yep. their new plan is to come up with yep. a certified airplane. But comparing, I, I have flown other LSAs and the Icon feels like a factory built airplane. Yeah. Like something that you you expect from a factory, you know, a big factory, like a car, yeah, right? Exactly. It doesn't feel like something that was done in somebody's garage. Absolutely. Or designed not. in somebody's garage. Yeah. When I first saw the icon and you know the wings fold back and I saw the engineering of how the controls connect and everything, I was like, wow, like this is completely new. I've never seen this before. Uh, even to the fact of the trim tab on the elevator. So the trim tab on the elevator, and I don't know if you noticed this, maybe not because this is new to you, but on, an, on a regular airplane, the trim tab is disconnected from the elevator and it has a hinge. Yeah. Well, the icon is composite and that composite goes all the way through. So you have composite material that bends up and down, down. and it doesn't crack. Yeah. For me, I was like, whoa, how do they how do they do this? You know, and again, what does that mean? Well, you have better aerodynamics, more speed, clean airplane. So that little detail itself, you know, the, 
it costs money to design that stuff and, and, and research and develop it. So it is expensive. It's not cheap. We're not going to talk about, you know, price, but it's, I think it's, you know, you, you can't buy any airplane and fold the wings in two minutes and put it inside a, uh, you know, a garage. Which proves, which proves highly, highly uh, practical when you are about to land in the middle of nowhere and you ask them on the radio, do you still have hangar space? And they say, no. No, we don't have hangar. And then you say, well, we only need about eight by two, eight by three. Oh, oh not, not a problem. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what we're going to talk about. And, I, and that's a great point because that is true, right? You yeah. know, oh, no, we, you know, we, can, we can't fit it. We can fit the icon under the wing of another airplane. <laughs> so it really, it really makes uh, sense. Yeah. Now, let's talk about your repo flight. So you get the phone call that your airplane is ready. Well, this was what I wanted. I wanted, you know, maybe it's a one in a lifetime ex uh, experience, but uh, I order a new plane. Um, then I, from a company like ICANN, and they offered me, if I wanted, I could come to visit them and also to pick up the plane because they, they would have had to transport the plane to Florida anyhow. So why not doing it ourselves? And uh, this was a fantastic experience. I mean, they did it in an in a, in a amazing way that we could have a factory tour and then I had no idea. I was always looking where's my plane. I could, couldn't see it. So I thought <laughs> it's somewhere out in the field. And suddenly I come around the corner and then uh, they had, uh, they did it like on a, on a show, a, a booth with beautiful uh, background. And there was standing my uh, 566 Bravo Alpha. So we have that photo. We're going to post that photo <laughs> up so we can see it. So this was, a, this was an amazing surprise. And then... Uh, and then uh, I met uh, everybody of, from of the team and uh, they explained me the airplane firsthand. It's, it's amazing. And Juan. Yeah, he got lucky. He stole that flight from me because I was going to do that flight. <laughs> <laughs> my flight instructor. Uh, uh, he was uh, he was, of course, also uh, he was blown away. He said, wow, lovely how to do it. And uh, and then the next morning, really, we pushed the plane out of the factory. Then it was fueled, um, chocks away, and then we took off. Here begins a great story, right? <laughs> so crossing America in a little small airplane is not something that not a lot of people have done, even pilots to this. You know, I, I fly with a lot of different pilots and not a lot of them ever, you know, all they did was fly locally. Maybe they're 50, you know, they're long cross country around the airport. But to cross the United States in a little small airplane is a completely different story. And I think when you do that, you realize how vast the America is. <laughs> this is exactly. I mean, and especially how, me coming from, from Europe, of course, we know America is big. Nobody can imagine how, how big, big it is and how unpopulated, unpopulated and different it is. I mean, then you are aware it's a bloody continent. <laughs> it is. <laughs> it is. It, and it's and it's so cool because you got to see the West Coast. You went through the Rockies. Yes. See that high elevation terrain. Then you went through Phoenix, you know, desert, right into Texas. Yes. Right. Now you go through Texas. That never ends. Never ends. <laughs> Especially not in an icon with headwind. Yeah, headwinds. <laughs> it just keeps keeps getting bigger. <laughs> Texas is one of those things that I do. So once we get out of Texas, everything is going to go so quick. Yeah. Texas is huge. Huge. And it's huge. All that oil. Huh? You see yes. all those oil farms yes. going to Texas. And then finally, you start getting into new Louisiana, Alabama. Then everything starts getting really green. Yeah. 
and then down into Florida. Where the weather got bad. <laughs> Where the weather gets bad because it's you know it's summer in the in it's Florida summer. in the afternoon. And it's you always going uh, yeah. So let's talk about that repo flight because I think there's a lot of uh, stories that we can talk about there. You had done this before in a car, right? You've crossed. No. You've never done this in a no, car. It was always my plan. Like I think many people in Europe dream about doing Route 66. Route 66. Um, uh, you know what? Uh, that that plan has been uh, scrapped. Scrapped because <laughs> um, the icon that was so amazing, and it was already long enough. Uh, but I would do it again, and maybe I, I'm gonna do it again. I'll go back with you if you want. Okay. <laughs> and th this time we'll but land. But I tell you, back will take mu even more time. <laughs> but we'll land at Route 66 this time. Yes. Have you seen that where you can land on no. Route 66? There's a place no. you can land on really? Route 66. Okay, so mark it down. Yeah, you uh, can land. There's a little hotel there, a motel, a little gas station, yes. and then you can taxi or yeah. put on Route 66 and I get a photo. I, I take you up on that. If, if you manage to get off from the airline for uh, for <laughs> quite a while because you're a busy a busy captain uh i take you up on that and we do that yeah really, that'll be fun <laughs> go back and do it again there's a there's a lot of places cool places out west to see but we also have the bahamas yes and there's a lot yes. to see in the bahamas yes. you know i well this we this we're going to do next month and i'm going to push you until we do it no we're going to i love i love the bahamas i grew up there as a, as a kid i used to be a captain on a 402 I got six, you know, nine, nine passengers plus me. I was 18, 19 years old. Yeah. Flight of the Bahamas, 135, spend the night. I can have a drink. I, I can have a beer. That's usually that's what I had. Beer and crack conk. That's all I had when I got there. <laughs> right? Here I was, an eight, 19 year old, 18 year old, having a beer, crack conk in the Bahamas, flying an airplane by myself. And then I got back to the US and I couldn't buy a beer at the. <laughs> At a regular store, right? Yeah, of course. But um, I had a great time. I love the Bahamas yeah. and, you know, the food, the the views. I mean, the, the Exumas, Luthras, everywhere in the Bahamas is beautiful. And I mean, with an icon, you have a, you have a tool to explore so many outer islands. It's a completely who different... Who have no airstrip, who have no jetty, nothing. But it's beautiful to see everything. And... I, I'm excited because there's a lot of beautiful things to see out yes. there um, and the possibilities with this airplane are endless because th there's a difference between a float plane and a, and a seaplane and it's a huge difference. You know, if the weather's bad in a float plane, you're stuck. Yeah. If the weather's bad in a seaplane, hey, you know what? Let's go land at the airport, right? Waves are rough. No problem. Let's go to land at the airport. We'll play around another time. Yeah. Um, you don't have that option. So I think amphibs are, are really important, um, especially when you're out in the Bahamas or, you know, where you, you might not be able to find a place to land. And now you're stuck. You got to land somewhere that's protected and <laughs> spend the night on a exactly. mosquito island. Yeah. <laughs> so back to California. So you took off with one and you head south because you can't cross the Rockies in any airplane, really. You know, I've done it in a turbocharged airplane and I'm like, uh-uh, I'm not going to test those turbos over the Rockies, right? <laughs> now, the Icon, you do have a parachute, so that's kind of nice. But you went south and you went down to, let me look here. I think you went to Bakersfield, Bakersfield. right? Bakersfield. So Bakersfield was just a stop for gas. Mm. But, you know, you must imagine this was my first stop for gas. <laughs> my first time at the US FBO. Um, everything was exciting. I felt like a kid. Everything was new. Did you have windows on or off on the on that flight? Uh, we had on the first flight. I must remember we had them off. Off. Yeah. So you're coming 
You're taking off on an airplane with windows off, flying down to Bakersfield, California. You have the coast on one end, the Rockies on the other. You're in an airplane <laughs> with no windows. Yes. What's going through your mind? I mean, I'm sure you're, it's just like a floodgate of information coming through. Well, here comes again the, the newcomer. Maybe a year-long pilot, he would have been more excited because I said, you know, at a certain point, that, that plane has a parachute, that plane uh, can land in water, that plane can take out the window. You say, okay, okay, then it can take out the windows. It took me a day or two to realize <laughs> what you were doing, how unique this is. <laughs> um, a, because uh, in, the, in the evening, Juan had eyes like a panda, and he said, tomorrow we fly with windows. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, yes. Uh, it's, like, it's like driving in an open car because uh, the canopy is fully tra transparent, so you really, uh, you really enjoy flying. The visibility is amazing. Amazing, amazing. And, and you have, uh, thanks to those wind ref uh, de deflectors, deflectors. It is, it's absolutely perfect. Yeah, but you have a sensation of flying. It's it's amazing. You know, I've I've actually time building with the icon. I was flying around just looking down on the water, and you you know you see dolphins and yeah. turtles and sharks and all that stuff. And it reminds me of a video I saw of this guy flying with goose and one of these like light sports. Like, not I don't even think that's a light sport. I think that's even like an ultralight or whatever it is. But he's like completely out. And a chair, basically, so yes. he's flying on top of a chair and he's flying with goose and the goose get close to him and he's like almost touching them and everything. And I'm like, that to me is what the icon feels like. Yeah. I don't know if I would get into an airplane that's just a chair with wings. <laughs> no, I wouldn't. I don't feel that safe <laughs> in that. But I do feel that I can, you know, that's as close as I'm going to get to that experience yeah. is with that airplane because you're just so connected. And that's why I like our diamonds so much, too, because you have that canopy, you know, is it hotter? Yes. But is it worth the visibility of flying? It definitely. I is. think for me, it's it's yes. worth 100%. Yeah. And if you know if you don't want it, then you can put some sun visors up. But personally, I don't care. I want to see. That's why I became a pilot, right? I want to go fly. Exactly. So coming down to Bakersfield, so you come down to Bakersfield and you get gas. And what time? Does, this is about what time in the afternoon? This is afternoon now, no? Or what time did you get uh, to Bakersfield? No, no, it was not that late because we left early. We left early from, we wanted to leave at seven, but we left at eight, I think. I don't have the flight data anymore, but no, no, Bakersfield was still okay. We then went on because we wanted to get to Palm Springs. And we had to go down before Palm Springs. Yep. So this we is had where it gets strong headwinds. This is where the the terrain really becomes tricky now because yeah. now you're crossing. Now you have to cross the terrain, and um, so you went from Baker. You were went from Bakersfield, and the plan was to go to Palm, Palm Springs, Springs, but you diverted to and the temperature. The temperature got hotter and hotter, and we approached in front of us the mountains. And we looked at them, <laughs> and then Juan said, um, I think you wanted to test me. What do you think? I said, I would turn around. Um, it's just, she feels sluggish. And, she's, and she said, yeah, that's exactly what we're going to do. We turn around. Uh, we, we go to fuel somewhere else. And um, then we waited, because it was hazy. And so we waited, I think, an hour or one and a half. 
So I remember this because I was actually following you guys yes. the entire flight. Yeah. And density altitude was very high. Very high. And you could feel, I mean, you could feel it. it, it that's the thing. People are like, you know, learning to fly here in South Florida, you're taking off at zero. Density altitude can be 3,000 feet. <laughs> it's still zero. It's still the same, right? The airplane's going to perform pretty much the same. Now you're taking off from an airport and you're climbing up to, you know, 10,000 feet, but you might be climbing a lot higher, right? Because you're flying to a higher density altitude. So the airplane can get sluggish, right? There's less air yeah. for that motor to grab and, 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 and compress. There's less air for that wing to fly on. So very good call. And, I, and I'm glad that Juan made that decision, made you make that decision on your own and kind of because that, that's really what makes a good pilot is aeronautical decision making, right? Well, he would have done this decision anyhow. Well, yes, but, but he but I think this part of his training to to teach me early. What would you what would you do? And that's why he asked me, what's your opinion? And I said, I, I for, for for myself, I would turn around. Perfect. And that's exactly what you guys did. So you guys went to um, San, Ber uh, San, Ber San Bernardino. San Bernardino, and then you spent some time there, so the visibility, because not only you had high density altitude, you also had low visibility, because yes. the visibility was, was dropping. Very, very hazy. 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 Terrain. Yeah. You know. And we were very close to Palm Springs. Eh? It, it, we were I not saw. Far. You were like. But uh, it doesn't matter. And I, and I told Juan, I said, if we have to stay here, we stay here. It's not a problem. Yeah. So thank God, a bit later, visibility improved significantly. Improved. And uh, I still remember I said that with Juan and then I asked him, I said, you know, normally I travel a lot with my pre-war cars. And I said, I checked the, I checked the map. If we follow the road, <laughs> it's perfect. And then he said, he said, oh, impressive. Look, look what I, look what I, and then he <laughs> had exactly the same idea. So it was cool. That was cool. Uh, so, and that's exactly what we did. I-10, no? You're following I-10 down to yes. uh, Palm yes. Springs. Yes. So because we knew there we don't have to climb very much because it goes... Uh, it goes to the cuts of the, right. of the mountain. And uh, the visibility was, was uh, uh, good again anyhow. And so we did the little hop to Palm Springs, not over the mountains, but uh, we followed the boat. So you land in Palm Springs. This is your first... Um, overnight there and they have yeah. a signature flight support there did you go to signature is that where you guys went in palm springs so you went to signature and this is obviously your first experience keeping an airplane overnight on an airport how was that <laughs> uh well that was a amazing um amazing experience because uh, there was hangar space <laughs> <laughs> and the hangar space was very posh because uh, the little icon was between the corporate jets <laughs> and uh, well, it, it looked cool and I found the beautiful uh, I mean Palm Springs is not difficult to find be something beautiful overnight but we found a really really beautiful place so it was a blast um, I um, the icon repos are different than the regular repos that I do <laughs> because one you obviously want to obviously have a place so you want to keep it in a hangar and yep. The reason why is how many people approach you when you land at airports with the icon? It is unbelievable. It's the same as if I drive with one of my old cars. Right. The very moment the propeller stops, everybody just everybody says, "Oh, is this an icon? I've never seen it alive." Uh, uh, in person. Uh, can I take a picture? 
And then I have my standard answer and said, I would be disappointed if you did not ask <laughs> to take a picture, then they laugh. Uh, yeah, it's so funny. This little, this little tiny airplane, but it steers attention. You can you can land in a Gulfstream, <laughs> and we're like, oh yeah, it's another Gulfstream. But you land on the icon, and everybody's like, oh my god, what is it? You know, and they get and they ask questions, and they want to take photos with it. So I like to keep it inside a hangar because of that. One of that, that's one reason, right? I because keep it. I I prefer to keep it inside the hangar because if it's windy. <laughs> Even if you know you, you you tie down her well, but uh, it flies at very low speed. I don't. I I I wouldn't sleep well overnight, um, so I prefer to have her in the hangar. Yeah. But it was not always possible. It's kind of when you have your your first boat and you have to keep it on the water. Exactly. And you're like, eh, I don't want to keep it on yes. the water. What if it yeah. sinks? Yeah. <laughs> it's like the same thing with the airplane, right? I want to want to fly. <laughs> so Palm Springs. I saw the photos. Gray Hotel. Um, Great steakhouse. Great steakhouse. Yeah, you guys were eating well, huh? <laughs> <laughs> um, and and that's the thing, right? You can either approach this as, oh my God, this is a mission. I got to move the airplane from point A to point B and make it as uh, fast and hard as possible, or you can take it slow and enjoy it and kind of spend it on, a, you know, go to nice places and, yeah. and experience different places. But you have been to Palm Springs before, thirty-two years ago. So how's how's that changed? No, from where you uh, has no. it changed? Same thing. Yeah. Wow. I must say compliments. It is, uh, it is, it is, it is like 30 years ago. Wow. I really, they did. Well. I've never been to Palm Springs. I've flown over it many times on the way to LA and, and everybody always talks good stuff about it. So <laughs> remember I take you up on this route 66. So, we'll, so then <laughs> we'll have to go on route 66 to experience <laughs> and Palm then we're Springs. we're going to see Palm Springs <laughs> as well. So you took off from there and now you're again, you're heading down. Uh, the terrain relieves a little bit here, but then it gets tough again once you get into the Phoenix area. So yeah. you went to um, a little small airport called Gila Benz. And Gila Benz looks like there's a lot of things around there. <laughs> <laughs> so not much around Gila Benz. That was just a fuel stop, right? So we got fuel there. Yeah. Just and uh, took off from there and you continued down to um, your next airport was uh, Tucson, Arizona. Um, and then the terrain gets challenging again. Yes. Right? So Tucson, you spent the night in Tucson? Yep. You did. We spent the night in Tucson, actually outside in the Catalina Hills. Um, again, a beautiful, beautiful hacienda, a beautiful place. And uh, I still remember the next morning, the takeoff from Tucson. That was epic. Sunset coming out. So I'm sorry, not sunset. Sunrise, sunrise coming out. Sunrise coming out. Uh, the scenery, amazing. Was it an orange, very orangey yeah. sunrise? Yeah. yeah. I tell you, I had goosebumps all over. <laughs> it was amazing. Absolutely amazing. So it's Tucson, now we go back again, and you guys started following more of the roads coming down to um, the next airport, uh, which I've personally been to, Donna Ana County. <laughs> Now, Dona Ana, there's nothing around Dona Ana. <laughs> Not much. <laughs> but it's a cool place, cool FBO, very nice people. Um, did you guys eat there or uh, you didn't eat there? No, we didn't eat much. <laughs> <laughs> it was wanted, a, a you know, fasting flight. Uh, uh, Juan wanted to move on. And when you fly in two in an icon, uh, you have two options. Either you eat well but then maybe you cannot fill your tank anymore. <laughs> or uh, how we did, we said, okay, we have to keep our weight. Uh, so we could always uh, fill up uh, the 20 gallons, which is a peace of mind. Um, 
I am going back to 20 gallons. When I fly the Icon or any pilot that flies the Icon, the hardest thing that they have is realizing that 20 gallons is a lot of gas. Is How many hours do you have with 20 gallons in the Icon? I would say four and a half to five. Five hours almost. Yeah. Because it burns so little gas. Yeah. And the hardest thing is to land on the ground with four or five gallons <laughs> remaining. You're like, you know, because why? Because in the Cessna 172, if you have five gallons remaining, you divide that by two, you got 2.5 gallons on one side and 2.5 gallons on the other side, slashing all over the place. That doesn't give me any comfort, right? So, and it's about 30 minutes on the 172. Yeah. So a lot of gas, and that's kind of one of the hardest things that people have is, you know, realizing that you have gas. You know, we landed uh, probably with one hour, some, two hours reserve. Sometimes with, once we landed with about six gallons, or five, you don't feel it. Right, it's just because normal. for a, for an icon, she she's still a quarter full. Right, of course. No. So Donna Anna, um, you're taking. I remember you guys were taking off from here, and it was very hot. Very hot. And Donna Anna has very high density altitude too. Yeah. So, how was the takeoff roll? Did you feel a difference? I know this is kind of new to you, but did you feel like the airplane took longer to get off the ground, or was it kind of the same? <laughs> Ask Juan. Yes, it took it took much longer. So and the icon normally she's very eager to to fly to fly and very eager to climb, and uh, she didn't even wanna leave the tarmac. Uh, <laughs> actually, she 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 took off a bit, and Juan anticipated it, so she went back on the left wheel, and she needed a few more knots. And then slowly, slowly. They claim away. Yes, yes. I've been there with a 172 and the kind of the same same system. Um, you got to consider it's 4,100 feet elevation in uh, it's New Mexico. 4,100 feet of elevation. And you're taking off max gross weight. Um, right now, today, the temperature is 91 degrees Fahrenheit there. I think it was hotter when you were there. And the we, density altitude had, is 7,000. Uh, we, had, we had 101. 101. So I can't imagine the density altitude must have been somewhere around 8,000, 9,000 feet. Yeah. Big difference when you're taking off <laughs> from zero than when you're taking off from 10,000. As feet. I said, during that week, I learned a lot. You really learned density altitude. I just by just by observing, observing and experiencing it on the co-pilot seat. Yep. Well, you weren't on the co-pilot seat. You were on the captain seat. On the captain seat, <laughs> but of course I was. Yeah, yeah. So. That's one thing that I also realize. You know, and if you if you ever fly in the airlines and you go to Denver. Yeah, we got really long runways in Denver for the airliners, and it's for a reason. We yep. need them, and it takes a long time for the airplane to get in the air. We take off a lot faster. We land a lot faster because just the density altitude it takes a big hit on your performance. So from there, you continue out east, and now you're starting to decrease. You're coming down the hill, right? You start losing that elevation, and you start getting into the Great Plains and the big state of Texas. So you landed in Midland. And Midland, that is in um, Texas. Did you spend the night in Midland? or no. no, you didn't. That was just a fuel stop. Yeah. And we went, uh, we continued to Waco. Waco, 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 Texas. Waco, Texas. So Waco, Texas, a lot of things to do there as well. Especially good food. We had <laughs> excellent food. We had that excellent food. Where, uh, what did you guys eat in uh, Waco, Texas? Well, Juan, uh, Juan, he already saw on his iPhone. He was looking at the menus, huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, Juan. I mean, you, Juan, you can follow blindly when it's about flying. 
and when it's about food. <laughs> <laughs> he was more concerned about the food than the flying. <laughs> and, uh, and I mean, uh, we really, during the day, we didn't have much. So uh, now we had great food, it was super. And then uh, we decided to get up at five o'clock in the morning. Right and early. Because we had to tie down the plane outside. There was no hangar space, but there was no wind. And then we said, because he wanted, he wanted to get back to Florida. <laughs> he then told me why. And he said, you know, I have, I have to be back next week because we leave for a few days. Mm. And then I said, Oh wow! You didn't tell me that. Said, no, you, you know, because I always said, you know, Quam, don't don't bother if it's uh, uh, once. Uh, yeah, one day I, I, I in Palm Springs, I said, come on, it's perfect. It's uh, it's four, I don't know four in the afternoon or what it was. I don't know. I said, leave it. Uh, it's too hot, and uh, let's enjoy the pool and let's enjoy it. So. I was not in a hurry. Of course, I was not in a hurry. I have nothing else to do. It's kind of hard for 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 us because you know we're professional pilots yes <laughs> so we're very mission oriented right we we analyze risk determine risk and if we can we fly the mission yeah. and we have the interest of the customers in mind right so you know time is money and it costs time so we're we're on a mission and our mission is to get that airplane from point a to point b and we want to do it as efficiently as possible and safe you know safe and and then, you have a and, then you have a George, and then you have a George who is absolutely not <laughs> concerned about that. He's concerned about having enjoyment. a good time, enjoyment. Yeah, of so course. How so, it should be. so and and that's a different and it's a different mission there. So it's kind of having to adjust and saying, okay, you know, we're it, we're gonna get there and it's fine. When we get there, it's great, you know. So then we got up so early at five, and uh, and it was all for nothing because uh, this is when I sent you the picture of him sitting on the sea wing <laughs> on the side. Uh, uh, I can't say the world, uh, but it's P.O. Um, because it was bad weather. Yeah. And he said, uh, and he said, he looked up and said to me, what do you say? I said, it's impossible. He said, mm, you learn fast. <laughs> he said, we got up for nothing. And I said, no. It's okay, so I could fiddle a bit with my aircraft, clean this, clean that. You were already waxing it on the way here, weren't you? A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I, because of the, because of two things, the mosquitoes, uh, let's say the in insect right. tar is much easier when the wax is on, and exhaust, because yeah. the F gas, my goodness. Yeah, that lead deposits. Oh, that lead deposits are enormous. So uh, thank God I waxed it uh, first. Uh, it was still hard to get off, but I got it off well. Yeah. And then, you know, now you're about halfway through Texas. So <laughs> it, took a, it took two days to get through Texas. Yes. <laughs> Texas, Texas is big. Texas is big. <laughs> <laughs> I learned that. Um, and then you went to Alexandria, and I recommend Juan to go to Alexandria because the last time I was there, I had such a good experience at that FBO. Alexander FPO, a shout out to that FPO. Yeah. Uh, let me see what the name of it is. Um, millionaire, right? Millionaire. Millionaire, millionaire FPOs are really beautiful, good. Beautiful. Um, FBO. Food, service, <laughs> really good job. It's crazy how, you know, how nice that place is for what it is. You know, it's not a big airport. No. I mean, it's a big airport, but it's not like a big traffic airport. Exactly. So they do a really good job. Um, 
and keeping that place nice. And you spend the night. You didn't spend the night nope. in Alexandria. You from nope. there, Alexandria. You made a that day. You guys did a big jump. You went down to um, somewhere in Louisiana to uh, Hammocks. No, Hammond North Shore, and that was another fuel stop. This was a not planned fuel stop. So what was the reason for the diversion there? Um, the weather was challenging. And uh, so we had to evade all the thunderstorms. But Juan did perfectly well. Not a single drop was ever on the, on the windscreen. But then we had a, a near a lightning strike, very, very close. And um, my goodness, it felt like we hit, we hit a rock. <laughs> <laughs> and this uh, set the ELT off. Wow. So we tried to reset the ELT in the cockpit. It didn't work. Impossible to reset. So uh, Juan said, we have to go down. So you stopped there. We're going to take a quick five minute break. And we'll get back to that story about <laughs> shockwave of a lightning strike. Yes. Well, that was a little bit more than five minutes, but it was a fun five minutes because we just welcomed another icon on the field. Exactly. <laughs> that was great. So They're just coming back from the same route that you just did. Route, yeah. So I think we left off in a diversion and this was your first like, okay, this is a interesting diversion, right? <laughs> So you're flying around, and this is my understanding of it, my recollection of it. You're flying around, diverting uh, weather, yeah. and you got uh, there was a lightning strike very close to you guys. Yeah, and the shockwave set off the ELT. But this is, um, I mean, the shockwave was for me it was not a wave. It was an enormous bang we felt in our back, in our seat. Uh, it was really like if you would, with a boat, you would hit the rock. Wow. It, it's really, it's massive, it's massive. And they set the ELT off. So uh, you diverted. <laughs> we tried to reset it, didn't work. Um, once I try again, <laughs> try again, <laughs> so it's, it's not working. So he said, okay, we have to land. And uh, so he looked for the next airport. And this is where, where we went to. <laughs> and then we, of course, we fueled, but we, it was not necessary. We, we could have done more, but actually I was quite happy because there were too many thunderstorms. And, uh, and then we, we were there and then the weather came in and then it was raining and windy. And uh, you know, so we stayed at Top, Top Gun Aviation. Top Gun Aviation. We there was super friendly. Um, Super, super friendly, super nice. And then suddenly Juan comes. Let's go. Says, we have a window. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> you were like, I like it here. I can spend a night here. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and uh, so it was. Yeah. That is funny. And then now is that joy. I don't think there's nothing more joyful. You know, this is a great trip, but there's still some joy of hearing Miami Center on the radio and actually entering the state of Florida. <laughs> so beautiful flight, I'm sure, coming over. You can see now the Gulf of Mexico um, coming over to Louisiana, and then eventually you went to Pensacola. Yes. And uh, you spend the night in Pensacola. We, we spend the night in Pensacola. So you spend the night in Pensacola, um, and now you're in Florida. <laughs> so yes. a little bit of relief is so close now to being home. But Florida's big too. 
Florida is big too. Especially when you come from the West, because yes. you got to go the entire yeah. scope of Florida. No, that's big too. And then um, how was it flying out of Pensacola? A lot of people are intimidated by all the airspace that's around that area. A big, big area of airspace out there with, you know, there's that corridor and everything. Did you guys go down and flew the shoreline or how did you fly through the, how did you navigate through the Pensacola airport? Well, I was in the lucky position that Juan was doing. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we were, uh, we were along the shore shoreline. We saw a lot of military bases. It was amazing. Yeah, there's a lot of military traffic. And I think you guys saw, uh, you had an encounter with some military aircraft at some point. That was this more was in, like the in, beginning. in the beginning this of the was flight. In, actually, this was uh, just out of Vacaville. Because uh, I know from the flight simulator at home, I know that there is the... There's a military operating uh, area. Yep. And uh, <clears throat> it, uh, yeah, we, we were allowed to cross, but you have to keep your eyes open because they come really fast. What did you see? You guys saw an airplane, yeah. I think. Yeah. Do you it remember came, what it was? Uh, yeah, it was well, one of these F, no, I, um, I don't know which type. But it was a fighter. It was a fighter. And uh, of course, he, 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 he knew that we were around there long before us. But um, he was about, I don't know, 500 feet or more lower. He probably came to take a, take a peek. Or and what is about this, they come so fast. It's amazing. No? Yeah. yeah. You, 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 you spot him and <laughs> done. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty cool to see a military. We, have, we see a lot of them out here in the practice area because we have Homestead Air Force Base just down of, uh, south of us. And, you know, you'll see them and yeah. off they go. It's amazing. So Pensacola down to Tallahassee, and I think Tallahassee, you did not spend the night in nope. Tallahassee. From there, you made it all the way down to uh, Ocala, Florida. Beautiful area out there, no? Beautiful. No, that wasn't Ocala. You went to nope. Winter Haven. Yeah, Winter Haven. Jack Brown seaplane base. Exactly. Did, did you see the icon there? They now have an icon down there. and they're I doing saw it on the YouTube, uh, on the, on the YouTube uh, video, of course. But uh, when we were taxiing to take off, uh, then I could see um, the icon Jack Brown's uh, no about the Jack Brown's uh, seaplane, base. seaplane base yeah that's where I got my seaplane base a long time ago um, but a pretty cool place a lot of nice lakes on that area to do training so they have a really good spot out there so Winter Haven and then Winter Haven that was your last leg down to Tamiami now yeah. for you it's a different experience than it is for one but when yes. you do this long flight like this to come back home to your home airport it's kind of cool and bringing another airplane to the airport safe without damage no. it's for me i think it's very prideful to bring another airplane yeah. airplane to our yeah. base yeah. like it's like okay yeah. now we're one airplane bigger in the airport right so what did it feel like landing in tamiami and kind of getting in your car after like what, what was that experience like did you realize that you had just crossed the air the country in a little small airplane or did it take some time after you got home and like no no i mean i realized that already while we were crossing you know as a kid um every year the luna park would come to my village uh and it was always exciting because they stayed saturday and sunday and the worst feeling was always Sunday, Sunday night because they closed at 10 o'clock. So they stopped all the, uh, all the attractions. You had to go home. So that was my feeling. It was, the fun <laughs> was ending. <laughs> that was my feeling. I would have said, okay, <laughs> let's do it again. <laughs> no, it was really, it was, you know, these are one of the things you do in your life uh, that you remember. For me, it was 
crossing Namibia with an SUV for six weeks or rally training in in north of Finland in Lapland uh, where it's always dark in winter. These are all these things that you never forget. You never forget. This is one of them. You know, and I have to agree with you. I remember my first solo and all that stuff. I don't remember when I got my, I don't remember my private pilot check ride, my instrument check ride, my commercial check ride. But I remember the first time that I crossed the country in a small plane. Yeah. I remember the second time. I remember all those repo flights that I've done. I always those are stuff that kind of hits a mark because it's something that you don't get to do all the time. It's really adventure. It's adventurous. It's, adventure. it's why we become pilots. Yeah. And I, for me, it's something that I, I never forget. And I'm sure you're never going to forget this no, story. No, no, no. And but and you kind of the way that you describe it is like, well, the fair was done, right? But you're just opening another chapter. <laughs> I hope. Now begins your flight training. You're really the, the beginning of flight training itself. Um, you know, you, did a, you do learn a lot in these, in these cross countries. You learn navigation, weather. You get to experience communication, the actual flying of the airplane. The, but learning, now, fact, the learning factor, I must say, I, I, I underestimated it. I thought, okay, I shall be sitting on... on as a co-pilot just watching and uh, no it was not and the learning factor during that week because you get you get so much thrown at you like the crosswinds like um, uh, landing and ATC is trying to push you because a jet is behind you um, a self-serve, a self-serve uh, fueling, fueling <laughs> at A63 in the middle of nowhere, um, etc. So it's never high density altitude, humidity, haze, uh, visibility, where suddenly I had to say, Juan, you have the controls. Uh, and tiredness. Yes. I think was one of those things when you're flying so many hours, sharing that workload between two yeah. pilots. Yeah. Um, I've done the crossing many times. Um, I've always had somebody with me. Yeah. And you split the, the workload. Yeah. You can't, you know, when I, it's always funny because when I see a new, new owner, they want to do everything themselves. <laughs> I'm going to fly this thing from point A to point B myself. But you just can't. No. It's just so much work. Yeah. And you learn a lot by just sitting back and seeing what happens on the airplane. And see how the other person deals with stuff just by being a backseat driver where there's no backseat in the icon <laughs> you're the side seat driver yeah, but i had to i had to i had to look up already the next the next the airport. next airport you get I to play around with your four flight etc then i had it ready when when juan was approaching so he knew where if he looks to to his left the diagram will be ready and everything so yeah you always have we call that in the airline CRM, crew resource <laughs> management. And you have crew resource management yeah. in these airplanes too. Um, it always helps to have another pilot with you and that can help you and kind of have stuff prepared ahead. Uh, my instructor always, you know, was behind the five P's, you know, prior planning prevents P performance, poor performance. Um, and that is so true. That's true. E even in the airlines, we're yeah. briefing our departure when we're on the ground, we're briefing our landing when we're in cruise. You, you should have that type of mentality in aviation, general aviation as well. Because how many times when you, you got to an airport, even when you were prepared, you were like, oh, wait a minute, is it that way or is it this way, right? Because they're, they're all different. So having that resource of knowing what it looks like and kind of talking about, I'm gonna go to signature, so I should plan on landing here, taxing this way, 
you you have a plan and you know is it gonna always happen that plan did it always happen as planned no yeah. right a lot of people when they do this big cross countries they they show me this oh this is where i'm gonna go i'm gonna go here 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 and i'm like oh yeah right. well, good luck <laughs> right you have an idea of which way you're gonna go but you don't know what airport you're going to go to. Exactly. Because if you know what airport you're going to go to, you're going to do something hazardous because yeah. you're going to push yourself to get to that destination. For me, when I do these big cross countries, I point the aircraft to Tamiami and three hours in, I need to land. I'm going to land here. Exactly. And if the weather's bad, I'm going to land before. I mean, I was amazed how many airports. How many airports we have. Yeah. yeah this is. This Isn't that is, amazing? Huh? That's amazing. And that's the fact amazing. that you can land on all these airports and not pay a single dime. Yeah. This is absolutely amazing. It's fascinating. Controllers. How many controllers did you speak to? Me? Well, or one, but in the whole flight, hundreds. I can't count them. It's impossible. You can't count them. And because we, of course, always, we, we, we always did flight following. Uh, and, uh, and it's amazing. It's amazing because in the beginning, I didn't understand the word. Uh, after the third day, it's like... You Near, started to, nearly, nearly when, when I you started to, to learn the language. Yeah, exactly. It's a language. It's yeah, English, it's language. but it's a language. Yes. And yeah. it comes with experience. I think one of the best things for you on this trip was that you were exposed to aviation for an entire week. Yeah. All you did was fly. Yes. Took off. Yes. Flew. Every, every talk, day, every day, six, eight, nine hours. Was a perfect. day of aviation. So when people tell me about well, how long does it take to become a pilot? Well, it's 40 hours. That's the minimum. We know the national average is about 60, 70 hours. But when you do it every day, it makes a big difference because now it's not only the 40 hours or the 60 hours of flight time. It's the time on the ground talking about airplanes. It's the time reading a book about aviation. It's the time studying about aviation. Generally, I've heard what it's about 10,000 hours to master anything, right? So about 10,000 hours of doing something to master it. And that's not just 10,000 hours of pilot time. It's 10,000 hours of what we're doing here, talking exactly. about aviation. I mean, reflecting on what our... We arrived, we went to the hotel at dinner. What were we talking of? Aviation. Of course. So those hours, <laughs> that time counts. That time counts for those 10,000 hours of mastery yeah. of something. And it adds to your experience. It makes you think and reconsider, how can I do this better in the future? So I, it's, it's such a good trip, I think, for anybody to do. Even if you're not really needing to do it, just to do it just because you're experienced and bring somebody that has done it before because that, that terrain can get challenging. Um, you know, we're so, especially if we're, for us here, Floridians that are so used to zero elevation, going out there is a big different world. George, you have a very exciting opportunity ahead of you. I hope you really enjoy your flight training experience and that's gonna be now your, your, next, your next chapter of books. Exactly. And then the joy of flying the Bahamas and all that stuff. Hopefully we'll get some videos and we do it. We, we share it with the audience yes. as well. But um, thank you so much for coming and You're for welcome. sharing your experience. You're I think welcome. it's I think it's very rewarding for people to see that it is possible um, that it's not just for the young, right? You can enter this field at any time. Yes, because you know when you are older, very often you're not so constrained anymore for financial uh, limitations. Maybe you have more time at hand. But then you have to use the time <laughs> right. because time is running fast, right? Yeah. So I know I have to, and I still wanna I wanna do uh, the flight training and then maybe another one. So to keep me not only trained but also proficient, Young. 
and maybe the private pilot and maybe some other ratings i think uh, when uh, i always say that the day that you die is the day that you stop learning <laughs> yeah i'm sorry the other way around the day that you stop learning is the day that you die yeah i think we should always I'm always looking for something new to learn and always something to move forward. And I, to me, I think that keeps you young. And flying is one of the fascinating things. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you can find a lot of boring stuff, but this is yes. something that you can always... This is definitely not boring. And there's so much to do yes. because there's yes. so many uh, so many different things that you can do, so many avenues that you can take this. So uh, again, I think you were mentioning that you're closing, that you were sad that you're landing in Tamiami because of the adventure, but the adventure, there's a lot more adventure to do it. And you have a very adventurous airplane to do it with. And that take you up on this Route 66. <laughs> we got to get that shot or go back to Route 66. George, again, thank you for, uh, for coming out. I hope the audience enjoys the conversation and uh, we look forward to flying again. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. We hope you've enjoyed the show. For more of our content, search on YouTube for Aviator Zone. If you know someone we should have on the show, please reach out at podcast at aviator.zone.